Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Leaf Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. Okay, James, no time to waste on a very, very, very special edition of the podcast. When Alec Baldwin decides to join the Leaf Report, you you have to clear time. He has lots of things to say. James, you want to introduce him? He's he's a very special guest, a, a great friend of the show. People are going to think it's actually Alec Baldwin. <laughs> that would be funny. He's got lots of Leaf thoughts. The reference for our younger listeners who don't know, Alec Baldwin is the most frequent guest on uh, on Saturday Night Live, and Mark Masters from TSN is the most frequent guest on the Leaf Report podcast. So we welcome him into the show. How many appearances is this, Mark? What are we at? Seven? You're getting up there. Oh, I was going to say in the 20s. Uh, yeah, no, seven <laughs> sounds probably more accurate, but... Uh, yeah, if I'm a Alec, I guess uh, CJ would be uh, Steve Martin, but uh, we both yes. have the five-timers jackets for sure. The five-timers club? Yeah, five-timer club uh, from SNL for sure. The people's champion. All right, we have lots to get into. It is a, it's going to be, as Mark, you were pointing out before we got on, it's just going to be a crazy few weeks for the Leafs, for the NHL. I mean, it's already been an insane few weeks for the NHL with some of the stuff that's gone on, so we want to talk expansion we want to talk free agency hyman anderson riley mark because you're the guest because we love you i'm going to leave it up to you to decide where we start well i I, you know i I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this guys because i've been thinking about it a lot you know when because i was looking back at at locker cleanout day or in the wake of the uh the wake of the way they lost in the playoffs and there was so much talk about killer instinct and uh and that was what was missing, less less clarity in terms of how they actually go about doing that. I'm just wondering if you think that that actually will will influence the, the moves that we're going to see play out over these next few weeks, if that really is something that they feel like they need to address, whether it's be like through, I guess, adding guys through trade or through free agency, or if it was just kind of something they're like that they had. Uh, like, I, I don't know how much that, that will actually weigh into what we're about to see play out. Now, if Bogosian doesn't come back, they're down to one guy who's won the Stanley Cup and Jake Muzzin. I just don't know, you know, if that matters. We just saw the Oilers make that move with Duncan Keith. They feel like they need the uh, the Stanley Cup pedigree. Like, do, do you are you expecting that to to shade the decisions we're going to see play out in the next three weeks? I mean, they they kind of packed the roster last year with a whole bunch of experienced guys who had played. I mean, like if you looked at how many playoff games that team had played, they would have been up there in the rankings around the NHL. So. I think the killer instinct comment was probably more directed at 
the players that are still here, you know, and some of the younger guys and, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the players that weren't able to step it up in, in, in the last three games of that, that Montreal series. And I don't know necessarily when they said that, like they said that two days after the playoffs ended, I don't think they were mm-hmm. thinking that they were going to be able to airlift that in from the outside. I think that it seems to me the feeling in the organization is that they need that killer instinct to come from the players they've got and that that group is the one that let them down. But I mean, they've also largely endorsed that cast and brought them back again. I mean, there's going to be some, some substantial changes here in the next couple of weeks for the roster, but we're still going to be looking at what, like 15 players that are the same from last season. Like it's, there's going to be a lot of, unless there's some major trade or something that we're not expecting, there's going to be a lot of the players that were on that roster that failed this past season that are still going to be there. I think you both know. I can't stand that phrasing. I think we need a new killer instinct just to... Uh, anyway, I don't like it. Um, I learned, James, and you'll remember this well, when they brought in a different regime, brought in Christopher Stieg, and they brought in Dave Boland, and they boasted about how these guys had won cups and like that, that, that really matters. And like, that was my lesson that that stuff is so overrated. And I, I don't know that it really matters whether you've won a cup in, in terms of winning the next one. Like there's something with this group that they haven't been able to break through, but I don't know that you bring in three players who've won cups and like suddenly everyone on the bench is like, ah, we got it. We figured it out. Like I, so I don't know. I, and I don't know. So, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. I, I, I think it's kind of an overrated point. Well, you can't go just like overpay a whole bunch of guys that have. I mean, there weren't. Yeah, like, there weren't do a you lot sign of, Brandon Sod for a bajillion dollars because he's won cups? Like, there, I don't think so. There weren't a lot of Tampa Bay Lightning that had won the cup. In, there were none. In 2020. I think it was Patrick Maroon was the one. Yeah, right? he was the only one. You're right. And then the next year, everyone had won the cup. So they went from having no killer instinct and having blown. You know, they blew That's that. why they won, James. Because <laughs> they had no killer instinct? <laughs> no, they, they learned the killer instinct, and that's why they repeated. Well, the Leafs don't have to worry about trying to repeat right now. I don't, That's not really on the agenda. It, it, it felt like uh, Tampa Bay getting swept by Columbus. That was such a shock to their system that it en- ended up being obviously a catapult type thing, right? Have you, I mean, every time the Leafs have lost in the playoffs, we've, we've heard that they've been more devastated. Do you sense that maybe this this latest loss is that kind of awakening? Or well, I no? th- I think I think this one at least they were like the favorite and they were supposed to win. And I don't know, you you don't right. buy it, Jonas? Again, that that feels so cliche. Like I just can't accept that. I I understand this narrative that like before you break through, like you have to go through the heartache and like you lose and like Michael Jordan's bulls, they lost to the Pistons and then they lost to the Pistons and then they broke through and then they just became a juggernaut. Everyone talks and about like, like maybe, the, the 84 Oilers is the classic one in hockey, right? Right. And, and like, maybe that's like the case in certain examples, but I don't think it's inevitable that just because you've had these failures that inevitably at some point you're going to break through. Like you, you keep hearing the, this Washington Capitals example and, I mean, it took them, A, they had one playoff series, and B, it took them a decade, and C, their management was all fired. Like, the, nobody was left by the time they actually won a cup. And if you remember in that season, like, they were ready to pack it in. Like, they they didn't think that they had it anymore. And different GM, different coach. So, like, I don't know. I, I feel like that... I feel like that point is being overemphasized by the team and by, I don't know, the wider narrative, and I'm just not sure I buy it. Like, what do you think, Mark? 
Yeah, I just don't know how much they can change the team over the next couple of weeks. I mean, the goaltending is obviously an important position and they got to figure that out. Yep. Um, and maybe just getting, if indeed Zach Hyman and Frederick Anderson leave, maybe that will shake up the personality of the room to a degree that it will feel different and help guys get better and, and evolve even more because obviously there needs to be some sort of evolution, especially at the toughest times of the year. Um, but I just, I wonder if they've already made the biggest move of their, their off season by the decision to stick with what they've got, kind of like the, the core and, and this philosophy and how much can they really do? I mean, they need a goalie for sure. And you can certainly envision a scenario if they don't make the right choice there where things can go sideways. Um, but I just don't know how much this team is actually going to look different as we've already addressed. They're going to bring back a lot of the same cast that we just saw. But it's frustrating because I think for the fan base and for for everyone to, to say, okay, they've had these this hurdle they can't get over and it just doesn't you know, feel like it. But maybe, again, as Jonas, you alluded to, there's been repeat, repeated stories of teams that uh, it looked like they were never going to get there and then something clicks. I just don't know what that thing is. Obviously they believe it's something within that's going to, going to happen. Cause as you pointed out, yeah, they've already gone the, the route of let's bring in some veterans and uh, guys that have made, they haven't won the cup perhaps, but well, Bogosian had just had just done it, but you know, guys who have been to a cup final and have had a lot of scars in the playoffs, but um, yeah, I, I just don't know. James, let me ask you this on following up on Mark's point. You get the sense from the team that they believe, listen, like we dominated the regular season. We had a really good team. We we did things right. Our process was good. We became a better defensive team. This weird situation with Montreal happens. They blow the lead. But the, the pieces that they had in place are, are right. And the idea that they had is right. One thing I've been starting to, to wonder is, is there a danger in overrating what happened last year? 56-game season, one division, not a, I mean, you and I disagree, James, but not a great division. So like, is there a danger in overrating what happened last year when you're getting back into the bigger league and facing better teams? Division went all the way to the cup final, all yeah. the way. Great team. There were two other divisions that weren't even playing at that point and they were all the way there. Crazy. <laughs> um, the, you know, the organization believes that this year was, was big. They, they believe that this is the best team that they've had, that a lot of the pieces fell into place. This is the best blue line that they've had, that they found mm -hmm. a goaltender that can step up for them, uh, that some of their young players took another step during the regular season. You look at, at the point totals and their production for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and all that. Um, I guess maybe you could read too much into that. You know, my concern would be, you know, to what Mark's saying, if you don't change the roster that much and you lose Hyman and you lose Anderson, potentially you lose Kerfoot in expansion. The, the thing I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks is how do you get better than, than you were last year? And is how good you were this past season, is that good enough? You know, if if you're the best Canadian team, and you, you, what were they? They were ranked, I think, sixth or seventh in the NHL. Like, is that good enough, or are you going to be the Washington Capitals, and it's going to you? You know, you you just might not be able to break through. I mean, I to your point earlier, Jonas. If if the Leafs don't win the Stanley Cup until Austin Matthews is in his mid thirties, the way that Washington did with Ovechkin, that's not really a success story. That's not no. that's not a triumph for Brendan. Brendan Shanahan might be retired by then. 
you know, like it, that's not a success story for Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas if if Austin Matthews is is out there and like has a gray beard and no hair and is limping around on the ice and you know, like that's that's not what they're trying well, to do. Go- he would be gone by then. Like George McPhee was running another team. Who who which who would be gone? Brendan Shanahan would be gone if it takes that long. He, like, might, he, be, would, he might be retired by then. Austin that's will I, be gone. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Who I knows? Mean, is Austin going to stick around if they haven't won around in three years? Yeah, well. I mean, he likes it here, no doubt about it. He likes the, the his teammates, but if they haven't won a playoffs. I mean, well, and Mark, that's a really important point. Like, they're, every season they don't win is one season closer to these contracts ending. Like, three years left for Matthews, three years left for Neander, four each for, for Tavares and Marner. Riley can be a free agent in a year. Like the, is it the time Muzzin, is now. Muzzin and Brody. Yeah, the time is now. The Muzzin and Brody now. are like in their thirties. Like, their yeah. their their window is wide open. This so like is this the best this team's going to be? They don't have a lot coming from prospects and stuff. Like it, how do you get better? You know, Jonas and I have been spending all week looking at all of the forward options for them to bring in. So if they, let's say they lose Hyman, they lose Galchenyuk, Kerfoot gets taken by Seattle. They've got three pretty big spots in in the roster on all three of their top lines. Like those are going to be really important positions to fill. But if you look at the free agents available, how many good free agents are there available that you're going to be excited about adding to the to fill those holes? It's it's not well, a, and that's it's the, not that's a super long list. Like how much is this team going to change? Like w- w- the coaching can get better, I think. I yep. mean the power play has to. Like I mean that that could be a big big uh, benefit there. I don't know if they're going to help the power play through through free agency or trade. But I think that that can get better and it has to get better. It can't be an issue again. And that might have been the difference. But, um, and Sheldon Keefe will have another year on that. I think he's still finding his way as well. He's had some weird seasons here. Um, I was wondering about the killer instinct thing. And I know it's such a weird idea. I think coaching can, can help that in some way and just. Yeah, absolutely. But let's get these, these, these core guys. You know, I know Sheldon Keefe experiments a lot, but he, he kept, as we know, he kept Marner and Matthews together for the whole year. He kept Nylander and Tavares. I know Matthews missed a few games, but perhaps there's buttons there that can be pushed. I know, remember Mike Babcock back in the old days, he would say, you know, people think they're working hard, but as a coach, it's kind of your job to try and unlock that next level. You think you're working hard. Are you working as hard as you can work type thing? There's no doubt those guys are incredibly dedicated. They wouldn't be where they are right now, but there's certainly, I think the organization believes in them to, to find even at another level. Certainly they have to in the playoffs, but, um, so I feel like coaching is an area of growth that maybe we don't talk about enough, but that's, that's going to come because the staff will be different. Obviously they just made an adjustment and I think Sheldon Keefe will be even better. He has to be continues to grow, continues to learn and God, that power play that, yeah, something's got to give there. That's a, like an underrated part. And you're right. We don't talk about it enough. He didn't have a great series and he didn't have a great series against Columbus. And, and like you said, like he, he's never coached in the NHL before. This is all, New and I and I think you look at some of the decisions that he made and you're gonna maybe through experience you make better decisions like it kind of felt like in this playoff series that we just saw he went the other way in in terms of not changing as much and and yet he also like put Rasmus Sandin onto their number one power play unit despite the fact that he had barely played in the NHL so he's definitely an area for improvement but I guess it's what you're saying Mark like it's they're just banking on their star players being stars and. If, if in that playoff series against Montreal, if Marner and Matthews are 10% better, 5% better, 
they win the series and and maybe James like maybe it's just that simple and and maybe maybe that's right like that's that's the thing like that's what's hard in evaluating this team I don't see how like I can pick holes in that but I can also totally see the logic of it I, I was down in Tampa for for that clinching game and you know I that was the only game of the Stanley Cup final I was there for but there was just a sense uh, whether it was on the Zoom call, just the whole building, like they weren't going to lose. It was over. The series was over. They were going to win. And you kind of, that throughout, as they gained steam throughout the playoffs, you got that sense. And going back to Babcock, he would talk about the idea of wanting to show up knowing you're going to win. And they haven't reached that level, obviously. There was always that uncertainty, even up 3-1, that could they close? Could they, I remember Shelly Keefe admitted that too. He's like, we've showed killer instinct in the regular season, but until we actually do it in the playoffs, it's an open-ended question. Um, but there was just that feel the whole day in that, in that building and that they were going to, it was a coronation and the, they're the defending champs. It's not a great, you know, comparison in terms of what they had accomplished versus the Leafs. Watching the playoffs. Like I came away from that being like, I don't think the Leafs were good enough. Like they, were they going to beat Tampa in, in a, in a playoff series? Were they going to beat the Islanders? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. The Islanders gave them the biggest fight game seven, one, nothing. I, I don't, I don't know if the Leafs were good enough. So I guess the question is. Well, James, you wrote about like the bottom of the, uh, you wrote about what the Leafs need to learn from Tampa. And one big point of the story was their depth just didn't compare. Like you can get into that now if you want. Yeah. And I, some of that's a function of, of obviously the thing that we talk about all over and over and over again in Toronto, the, how much money you're spending on your top four forwards, um, it makes it more difficult. But I think, you know, like a, a really big thing too that is, is Tampa's, so much of their team is homegrown. So much of their team has been drafted mm-hmm. and so much of it was drafted in the late first round, second round, third round, you know, fourth round. Um, or they or they made smart trades for guys like Chernak and, and a lot of the players took less to stay there because. Big point. They, they, they wanted to. And yeah. There's, a, there's just a lot of those pieces that the Leafs don't have. So how are the Leafs supposed to compete with that? Now, like counter to that, Tampa's going to lose a whole bunch of players from that that roster. Like they're probably going to lose five players off of that roster. So they're going to come back down to earth. But I think that they set the bar for what a team, how good a team can be in in the salary cap era. I know, obviously, obviously they were over the salary cap for the whole season. Um but, you know, if it's not them next year, it's, you know, Colorado is going to step up. Vegas is still going to be a very good team. You know, I, I think that there's going to be – Boston's going to be a good team. Um, do the Leafs – can the Leafs settle for just being, like, one of the good teams? Or should they – can they get to that next level where they're we're talking about them as one of the best three or four teams in the NHL? Because I don't think they're there yet. I think they can get there. Like, I don't yeah, see but, those but teams. How? What will they do to get there? You're counting on those – Two guys, especially Matthews and Marner being exceptional. And I think that's like a reasonable bet. The questions in the playoffs are obviously there. Uh, I think Neolander has obviously proven himself for a couple of years now. Tavares is obviously a big question mark. The goaltending is still a big question mark. And I mean, you point to Tampa's drafting, like aside from Hedman and, and Stamkos, their stars are not really and and Vasilevsky's like a mid first round pick but other than that like points a late round pick Sorelli's like a I think a second round pick uh like they trade for McDonough Sergachev they make a masterful trade like 
they just kind of nailed everything on the margins. And then like with some of those contracts, they got Hedman to take less. They got Stamkos to take less. They got Point to take a bridge contract. Uh, Sorelli to take a bridge. Sergachev to take a bridge. Like all those things add up to more more resources, right? Like you can just make the rest of your team better. And that goes back to what Mark brought up. The the big decision that they've appeared to make and and that's keeping the core together. And and that's the gamble that they're making on those four guys. Maybe their return to a traditional 82 game season with the travel and more of a grind will, because I've been thinking so much about what we just saw. Like, what does it mean? Like what the heck just happened? You know, they were great in the regular season. Was it, was it too easy? Was the division was, was the opponents just repetitive and they had proven they had mastered them and, and, and was, and then when they got punched in the face in the playoffs, was it, they just weren't like what they weren't ready to respond the right way. And maybe the grind of 82 games, if they go through a little bit more of what, Montreal went through in the regular season with some of the darker times. Because even when they struggled, they weren't, I mean, I think as I think back to their dips, there was two big ones, I guess, where they lost, what, five in a row or whatever. And it was mostly, as I recall, goaltending related, I think, with Freddie's uh, injury situation. But maybe maybe that will help them in terms of the road. It's all about the journey. And they, they wanted to peak in the playoffs and they, they wanted to take the regular season seriously. We had to go in the right way. And I just, I, I wonder if the season itself I mean, they had a couple of injuries, but maybe there's something they, they can be gleaned there in terms of how to, to find the right way to be battle tested for the playoffs. Because for whatever reason, this year, Montreal seemed to be ready to flick a switch. Um, game five of the first round for whatever reason, and Toronto could not kill them, could not figure it out how well, to get did, rid of them. They did so the I same thing maybe, that they always do, didn't they? I mean, it, it's just, yeah, yeah. they just, they, they went leafed, different. They, they leafed different. it away. Like we thought they were different all yeah. the way till game four. And then, and then they weren't, they, they reverted to old habits. All right. We've spent a lot of time looking back. Let's take a break and then let's look forward. Uh, we've got expansion coming. We've got free agency coming. So let's take a break and get into expansion. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk expansion. So I wrote this week that I think that Justin Hall should be the last guy that they protect in expansion. Um, I guess the first question is, do either of you disagree? Do you think there's a better course? Uh, Mark, I'll start with you. And then James, you can take over. Yeah, I think you nailed it uh, with with your piece. It's hard to disagree. I mean, it certainly seems like it comes down to Dermot and Kerfoot, doesn't it? In terms of the two, two biggest names or the two most obvious guys that Seattle might have access to. And then when you're looking at the tea leaves and Dave Hackstall, Dermot never played a ton under him in Toronto and um, Kerf, it was a scratch to start the playoffs. And 
Mm-hmm. Kerfoot was able to carve out a, a nice role on the penalty kill and is a very versatile guy, as we know. Um, it certainly feels like, yeah, you, you would definitely protect Hall, big right shot defenseman who can skate on a reasonable contract, who hasn't played as much as Dermott and still developing, I think. Um, yeah, you keep your top four defensemen, you keep your top four forwards, and Seattle will get a good player and a usable, a useful player, and you move on. I've been surprised how much debate there is over this. You know, I, I put a poll out on Twitter yesterday asking this question, and I said you can only protect one of these players. 28% picked Kerfoot, 33% picked Dermot, and 39% picked Hall. So it was split. Wow. Pretty, it was split really close to three ways. Really, really close. So the, the fan base is is confused about what should happen here. I think the biggest confusion or the biggest point of question is is what is Travis Dermott because I think a lar- large part of the fan base believes he he has a ver- pretty uh, has not reached reached his potential or still has the potential potential to be a top four guy um, and and some think that he's played enough now and just this is what he is he's topped out as a five six guy and um, th- th- to me that's my sense of that and he's played a lot right and he hasn't been able yeah. to to go higher now when they when they brought in Brody Kyle Dubas, one of the things he said is they, they saw Dermot as somebody who could one day be that kind of guy on the, uh, on his offside and, you know, strong defensively like that. That's, you know, you guys have talked about it in the past on this podcast that Dermot is a, you know, gap control, that sort of thing. He's not an offensive guy. He's not going to put up points, but he can be a pretty good defensive stopper when he's playing at his best. Yeah. But so even that stuff, like a lot of the defensive numbers suggest that. He doesn't play against anyone. Like he, he's been on the third right. pair for like the bulk of his NHL career. And I think, I think we learned something about the way that they saw Dermot with how they chose to use him last year. And that was they barely played him. Like he played 13 minutes a game. He barely killed penalties. Like it, it suggested to me that that maybe they don't think he's there yet, and maybe he can still get there. Like your old friend. Mark Randy Carlisle had his, his 300 game theory and, and Dermot's like a hundred games shy of that. But to me, I've always or increasingly felt like Dermot has become overrated in this market. Like even when he got that contract last year, there was a lot of what a bargain. It's like, not, not really. Like he hasn't really proven anything. And then the other one with, with Kerfoot, the misnomer I think is, this idea that Kerfoot is your third line center. And I don't even think if he stays that he should be your third line center. So like James, to me, that's, that's to me, the the trouble with both those guys is even if you keep Dermot or even if you keep Kerfoot, I'm not sure he, he should be your third line center. So like, I understand. There's you know, talk the Leafs will trade Kerfoot even if Seattle doesn't take him, right? So like they're going to see what happens here in, in, in the expansion draft. And then they might still trade him anyway, because they feel like they can spend that money better. Which I agree with. Yeah. Kerfoot struggled as, as a center, you know, like he, he was bad in the faceoff circle. He, he doesn't have size. Uh, he played well in the playoffs. I think the playoffs kind of changed perception of him a little bit, but a hundred percent. I think Kerfoot is best as a complimentary piece uh, with a talented center as a, as a winger with a talented center. I think that's where he's best. Yeah. And if he's like making two and a half or two, seven, five or something, like it's, I, I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but like maybe it's a little bit of a different conversation. Like he just, I don't think he's worth that contract, especially if he's not a center. So the question um, I would ask you guys next is, and James, you kind of alluded to it, so maybe you can you can answer first, is like, who would you prefer that 
Seattle took if, if those are the two guys that you expose. And obviously they could take Pierre Engvall if they really want it, which actually, would devastate you, they're, James. They're not going to. They're not, they're not yeah. going to. I, I, I'm, I feel fairly sure that Seattle is going to take Kerfoot. I would say I'm like – I would say I'm like 75% certain the Leafs will protect Hall. Seattle will take Kerfoot and Dermott will stay. But – there's always uncertainty there. No one, no one's kind of revealing their hand here at all. And um, I would prefer that, that that's the way that it plays out. I think that that makes the most sense because yeah. if they take Dermot, it doesn't really free up much cap space. You're going to have to find another defenseman, ideally someone that can play the right side. Uh, and then you've still got the Kerfoot salary, which I don't know that you're going to get much of a return if you trade Kerfoot at, at the, at his salary number. No, nope. um, so I think that that's probably the best outcome. And I think that that looks like the most likely outcome right now. I, I think I agree with what, everything you just said. They need more bang for their buck and whoever comes in to fill Kerfoot's shoes, if indeed skates, if that indeed that's the way it plays out, just with the way things are built. But what the heck's their third line next season? Well, <laughs> Mark, <laughs> this is this is like, I, I wish when I wrote about Wayne Simmons um, that I kind of had picked at this a little bit more. They've kind of done a little bit of what they did last year, and they've kind of, with, with signing Simmons and Spezza, they're boxing themselves in a little bit to the same kind of configuration that they had last year. They have Mikheyev. You just wonder if it's going to be the same kind of issue that they'll have in the playoffs where you look at those third and fourth lines and you're like, well, what are you going to get? You it's know like what I mean? It's like having two fourth lines, right? Like they, they, yeah. they need a third line that... I think it's really important, Mark, that in free agency or in trades in the next two weeks here, as they, they figure this out, they need to answer that question, what does the third line look like? And I think it needs to look a lot better than last year. It has to have a role, and that's what Keith wanted, right? He wanted he wanted to create a defensive kind of reliable line, and when Hyman was in that spot, it, it, it really it, it was it, it was effective. Uh, but it just with the injuries and the fact they needed Hyman higher in the lineup, it, it certainly feels like Keith wants that third line is to be like, okay, we have our offensive talent in the top six. They're going to produce. We need a third line that can basically be defensively responsible, really annoying to play against. You know, John Cooper always called his third line down there, the Nats, you know, just buzzing around. They don't necessarily have to score, but you know, but they, they, well, wait, they, they have to score a little bit, Mark. Yeah. Like they, they have to but be able here to here and there. Yes. Of course, every, they're going to need offense. It can't be a complete black hole. Well, and that's what James to, kept pointing out. Like with that Simmons, Engvall, uh, McKay of line, like they were never going to score. No. They weren't even threatening to score. They weren't even, no. they weren't getting close to the net. Like they, even with the games where they played really well and they controlled the puck and they were down in the other end. And then, like they played well defensively, but when you're when you're in a situation yeah, where your top line. guys can't score and Tavares is hurt, and, and then your other two lines can't score at all, then I don't know. I, I think you're right, Mark. I think what they need to do is is build an identity for that, and it would not surprise yeah. me at all if that's what they're trying to do. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know Kerfoot goes, get two new third liners, get a new first liner. Um, if Kerfoot goes, they're going to have about thirteen and have faith. Yeah. If Kerfoot goes, they're going to have about thirteen and a half million to spend. So yeah. maybe two and a half, three million, or whatever goes to a goalie. You got ten million to spend on three or four forwards, and you, you got to get someone that can play third line center. You got to get someone that can play on the first line, left wing, second line, left wing, and you got to push. I think you got to push Engvall or Mikheyev down to the fourth line. That's too many fourth liners, isn't it? I guess not if you're not going to play Simmons and or Spezza regularly, right? No, no, no. I'm just saying push one of them, Jonas. I'm not saying put both of them on the fourth line. 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I would consider, I mean, shouldn't you consider Engvall a fourth liner at this point? I, I think Mikheyev can play on the third line if he's your worst third liner. Yeah. what I would say. Yeah. But Jonas, Jonas and I have been looking at a bunch of names for the forwards. Like, what if they get someone like Nick Bedino or like someone who's a veteran who can play that center role uh, better than Kerfoot and potentially doesn't cost you that much more given his age, sign a short-term deal, get another good winger that can play with him. I mean, Jonas has been excited about, well, I'll let you say if you want to say, we, he's been excited about some of the, like the, there's some yeah, veteran, very excited, veteran two-way forwards that they can probably be, bring in for around $2 million. And then you're building a line that's going to have an identity and that and that can score a little bit, but that is going to be difficult for other teams to play against. That's the question really with a lot of those guys, James, is can they get enough offensively from those guys? And maybe their thing is, you know what? We don't need that much. Like we think those top two lines are going to score enough that if you get the odd goal from those third and fourth lines, it'll all be better. If your power play isn't a black hole, it's going to work out. Where do you guys see Nick Robertson, like in the, in terms of the mix for next season? Like, good question. What can he do? Like, I mean, is, is he a guy who can play in the top six, take one of those roles consistently, or is he in just that that kind of fourth line rotation system? Like, what's what's a reasonable expectation for him? Because that I wonder what they they see as that in terms of because I'm sure that's shaping their thought I, process as they look at who they need to get. I don't think he's ready yet. Do you guys? I mean, I don't think he's ready to. No, I, I think that he's an injury fill in right now and like you play the crap out of him in the AHL and he's still really young I didn't I didn't see it last year and I know there were injuries and, and all kinds of things I just didn't see he does not look like a top six forward in the NHL he's not I he's wonder, not ready although you mentioned the injuries though I wonder how much like maybe he shows up to camp you know a different looking guy the injuries really seem to to play to wreak havoc I mean this is a guy who's starting game one of, in the bubble which is, again, now even harder to believe. But, uh, I mean, he was at a point there where they were trusting him in the playoffs. But uh, I, I do wonder, he's a hard worker, that they continuously praise him for that. Maybe he shows up to camp and and he can win it. That maybe can be the September kind of sweetheart type thing. I, I just think it's, it's – it's, I and I blame myself for this just because I was swept away just like everyone else from watching him. He that was his first AHL season, and it was like a crazy, insane season where they played like tw- he played like twenty games, and like he barely played in the AHL. Like to to it, it's it's almost illogical to think that he should just jump from junior to the NHL based on where he like his size and experience and where he was picked and all that stuff. Like it's more reasonable to me that he plays, let's say, half a season in the AHL, and if he's playing really well and they have injuries that he's a guy that maybe you call up. Um, but like you, you're hitting on an important point and we haven't touched much on him. Um, James, you wrote like a month ago that it looked like the Hyman thing was, was done. And now it appears that that's going to be the case. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that, James, now that it's looking like the end? It doesn't sound like they tried very hard to keep Hyman. It doesn't sound like there were very many conversations. It doesn't sound like there was long negotiations. It doesn't sound like they bent over backwards to come up with a creative contract structure. It doesn't sound like any of that really happened. So I guess in their minds, they found another avenue that they want to pursue as opposed to doing that. Maybe scared by the injuries and just the, the, his age and the, the contract length. But it just seems like 
seems strange they wouldn't pursue that considering his importance to the team. Yes. Not just as a player, but as a leader. And he's the kind of guy you want. Um, Toronto native. I mean, he's the guy that you'd want to spend his whole career in Toronto. And you outlined last summer creative ways they could have got it done. It's kind of disappointing that it never really, even on locker cleanout day, I know that was in the wake of the, uh, of the uh, season ending. It just didn't seem like Zach was, was overly optimistic about it. And he'd just been eliminated shockingly in the first round, but it just feels like it never got down the road. Sounds like he wasn't optimistic because there was nothing to be optimistic about. Like there hadn't been any conversations or it just, it it just seems like the Leafs decided to move on. You know, it it reminded me Mark of what happened with remember with JVR, like JVR would have stayed. He would have taken less money. He liked playing in Toronto, but there was just, there was never a conversation or anything like that. And, Hyman's obviously different than JVR and that JVR had was going to get a huge, well, Hyman's going to get a huge contract, but Hyman was playing a more prominent role on the team at the time. And for all the reasons you suggested, I thought they might try and find something creative and at least have something on the table, but it just doesn't, it seems like the Leafs have their eye on something else that they like better for their forward group. And what that is, I haven't been able to, to figure it out. And looking at the available free agents, like there's some interesting names there, but this is going to be a really tough needle to thread because you get into free agency and you get all these other teams that are bidding for players. And there are teams that have a lot more cap space than the Leafs. So they're going to have to be careful that they don't overspend on these players that they're trying to get. And if they strike out on the on the people that they were thinking of as Hyman replacements, I don't know where that leaves them. Well, let me ask you guys this. So I think you, you both... All right. Like it's it's weird you wouldn't just go to his camp and say, listen, like things are tight. You know where we're at. We can do four by four. That's the best we can do. And they'll and Hyman's camp will probably say, Thanks, no thanks. Nice, nice knowing you. But let me ask you guys this. Does this matter to you at all? So these are Zach Hyman's numbers in the playoffs. 2017, one goal. 2018, one goal. 2019, one goal. 2020, one goal. 2021, one goal. Now he has obviously come a tremendous way offensively, but I don't know that he's someone you could rely on offensively in a playoff series. And if you're going to be paying him four to five million, I don't know. Maybe you need maybe you need to be able to get count on a little bit more. Now he's delivered in the regular season, but it's not like you could go into a playoff series thinking we can expect Zach Hyman to score a couple goals or three goals. You know what I mean? Like, what does that, James, does that, does that mean anything to you? Does that make any sense? Honestly, I think from the Leafs perspective, I bet you what they're more worried about is kind of the age curve and where he's at and all the injuries Mm -hmm. he's had. And like, they, they could potentially have data in the front office that says that he's declined. And even though the offensive numbers are there, um, I think that that would probably be their biggest concern. If you look at all those, all those forwards that have signed, big deals when they're 28, 29, 30 years old, almost all of them are terrible. Like there are so yeah. many Andrew Lads and Lucic and Ocposo and Louis Erickson. Mm-hmm. And and they fall off a cliff. Like it, it, it happens very quickly. Their bodies break down. Their bodies yeah. break well, down. And, and there's evidence. He plays that a style, right? There's evidence that, that some of that is beginning to happen to Zach Hyman. And I, I if my suspicion is that that's a bigger factor, um, with yeah, not wanting to sense. give him, not wanting to give him, and I just think that the number two got bigger as the year went on. Like the what other teams are willing to pay Zach Hyman is much higher now than it would have been last summer, and the time for the Leafs to get 
more of a hometown discount or, or a bargain on Zach Hyman probably would have been last summer and it, it never ended up coming together. Is that what we'll look back on in this era? If it, if it's unfulfilled is that that was something management could have done differently is get ahead of these contracts. More. I mean, it just feels like we keep banging up against the same storyline and guys walk and they don't get anything with the big guys for sure. I mean, it's yeah. with the big guys. They, if I mean, <laughs> Now we're digging around in like the old wounds for Leafs fans. Like they don't want to hear oh. this. We, we've been down this road. But yeah, they would, they could have got those deals signed for less if they were more proactive and didn't wait to the last minute. So the idea that if you have time, you use it, it, uh, it blew up in their face again and again and again. And we'll see how what Zach Hyman's career trajectory looks like going forward here. We'll see if the team that signs him ultimately regrets it. Uh, and we'll see what the Leafs do to fill that hole. I mean, for for me, guys, uh, the thing I worry about the most with with losing Hyman isn't necessarily the offense or the goal scoring. It's he's just a very well rounded player. He's very good on the forecheck. He's very good defensively. He's very good on the penalty kill. He just brings a lot of elements, and it's really hard to find a player that can do all of those things well for not a lot of money. And that's what the Leafs are charged with trying to find right now. And it does make some make some sense to me though if you're paying Marner and Matthews as much as you are and they're playing together, you probably don't need a five million dollar winger to play with them. You need someone who's you need like a two million dollar guy that can step in there and give you what you need on that line. And James, I would like counter you a little bit. I can find penalty killers. Honestly, like you and I have been doing all this research on forwards. I can find pretty good defensive players. Can I find someone who's as good at it and does all the other things as, as Zach Hyman? Maybe not, but maybe like I can cobble together two forwards, three forwards, uh, as opposed to paying him, that it makes the team better. Zach Hyman's, what makes him special is how good he has been at even strength, though. Like it's just how much they've dominated scoring chances, how much they've not allowed scoring. But how much of that, how much of that is the other guys? Like, well, I don't know. And they, they, it's something. The Leafs may have looked at that and had some formula for that and, and been able to. I mean, that's one of the things that talking to, to Dom, our statistician at The Athletic, is that he projected out what Hyman's going to be worth on his next contract. And it was like some huge number. It was like $7 million. But Dom said, I don't know how much of what he's done is those guys he's playing with. Like, if, if you put him with lesser talent, does that contract projection drop way down? And that's one of the things that's probably trickiest in analytics is separating guys that play together all the time. Hyman played so much with Austin Matthews over his time with the Leafs that there potentially could be something there. I think it's a real question mark because, I mean, it, it, it didn't happen a lot, but it never really worked when he played with Neilander and Tavares. Now you go back further in time and he played with uh, Tavares, a better version of Tavares, Marner, and that really worked. Like he's obviously got a skill set that complements those guys. But if he so, so the question would be moving forward is if he's not playing with Matthews and Marner, how valuable is he? And is he going to be valuable enough on that contract? And I keep coming back to a question like myself is like, how many guys can you pay their their value like and and or overvalue? Isn't his versatility part of the value? I mean, the fact that he could play with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, but also I, I, th- I felt that 
the hem line, the zip line, whatever you want to call it, had some good moments. That dine doesn't get Ooh, a name. Zip. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they, you, you, you haven't earned it. I'm I sorry. I called sorry. it the, okay. meh, well, the meh line. The meh line? You, I just you didn't call expect it the much, third line. Bang! <laughs> the other team looks at it on the we, roster sheet and they're like, meh. Yeah, they're we like, don't have to worry about that line. And then they spend their whole... Then they spend the whole shift against them in their own end. And then uh, oh Hyman's getting under Mike Smith's skin. But uh, could he, you know, could he, dri- could he drive his own line? No. Could he, could he drive a third a third line? No? Okay. Well, then maybe he's not worth it. But it depends it, what you mean by drive it. Could he be the best player on that third line? Like a pickup truck. Yeah. The highest, the highest paid player yeah, on that for line. Three, for like three million. Okay. Like you can't pay, you can't pay that. You can't assign that much cap space so to where do they like find the value liner. though, Jonas? Like, because free agency, I don't think they're going to get a lot of value there. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, we found some guys. Like, I think there's yeah, some I know, value but are they going to be able to? Are they going to sign them to contracts that they're going to be able to outperform? I don't know. The thing that was interesting when we looked at the forward pool mark of the available forwards mm-hmm. is that there's probably only like 10, 11 guys that make sense to play in your top two lines that are like legitimate top six forwards. And then there's a whole bunch of guys that are like kind of third and fourth liners. There's a lot of fourth liners that are available. So Quality class of fourth liners. They they leaves they, are overflowing with them already. <laughs> they need they need to they need to find some hidden gems. Like they need to make some more bets, like they did with Jimmy VC and Travis Boyd, but that actually surface players that are really useful for them. Not easy. Not easy to do. But this is what Dubas said he could do, right? It's up to me. I believe in these four guys. I can build around the edges. I can make this team better. And it's never been harder. And it would be fascinating because, again, it's not a, there's no clear path forward here. Um, you know what? Honestly, guys, the, the story of like building this team and everything at the end of the day, if we look back at this and it doesn't work and it's it's a failure over a longer period of time, might be the cap was flat when they didn't expect it and they couldn't pivot. They were just locked into the cap going up to 90 or decided not to pivot. It's that's the point. They decided not to like, that's, that's the the one thing. And, and James and I have talked about this, but like to not explore it in light of the circumstances to me, doesn't make a ton of sense. And maybe they are, maybe whatever they said didn't mean anything. Um, let's take a, a quick break. And then we should talk a little bit about the goaltending um, before we get out of here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Frederick Anderson coming back to the Leafs. Yes or no, Mark? Freddy Krueger rises. Uh, I would think not. I would bet against it, but uh, you never know. It's a volatile market for goaltenders, and you know what you have in him. And if you if the number's right and he looks out there and doesn't get what he's looking for, it, I guess there's a scenario where they both both sides double back and – can't do it. And uh, I, but I would, I would suggest that the chapter is this Frederick Anderson story has probably run its course uh, in Toronto. James agree. I think you agree. Anderson's not coming back. There's no way. There's no way. And then you, you, you know, there, there's never talk, say never. There's talk out there about what he wants on a contract and stuff. It's just 
There's there's too many other goalies available. The only chance, I'm going to say there's a 2% chance Anderson comes back. And the only way it happens is if the Leafs go and strike out on like four or five other goalies in free agency or in trades. And Anderson goes into the free agent market and gets like completely, doesn't get what he wants and is left there at the end of the day. And they both look at each other at the and, and they're the only ones left standing where the Leafs so, need a Leafs need a, chairs. Leafs need a goalie. Yeah, there's one chair left. And the, the Leafs are like, all right, Freddie, we'll give you two million bucks for one year to come back and, and, and try and prove yourself. That's that's the only way that it happens to me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, all right. I think uh, we're going to do the pod bag. But as always, before the pod bag, eat at your local restaurants. Mark, I know you've got some good spots in your hood. Is there... Is there a favorite? I think I know your favorite, actually. Mashu, Mashu, Mashu. for sure. Great yeah, spot. Love it. Mediterranean, yeah. Awesome. Large house salad. Chicken schnitzel's great. Chicken shawarma's great. Yep. Love Mashu, Mashu. Check it out. All right, James, you ready? I am ready. Um, Shane, whose Twitter handle is old broke bloke, which, which, is, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, broke bloke would like to know, would the Leafs be better served by not spending to the cap this summer, saving some of that cap space to make a move at the trade deadline? What do you think, Mark? Oh, broke bloke because he's he's he bet on the Leafs too many times. Um, <laughs> I think. Why would you bet you on the Leafs at this point? Everyone bet. bet against the Leafs, and then if they win, you like you'll be happy either yeah. way. You'll get your money or your team. Yeah, either way, yeah. That's a good trade. Whenever I, I was when I was a fan a and I bet, I would always hedge my bet based on bet against my team. <laughs> that was always my strategy. I'll make money or I'll be I'll be happy. Yeah. Um, I guess to answer the question, I mean, we don't know how it's going to play out, so it's really hard to see. I, I suppose there's a scenario where they get a bunch of cheap guys, but I, I think you probably have to spend to the cap in, in terms of trying to fill the holes they're going to have. I, I said this to Jonas the other day. I think that we, what he's talking about with Simmons and uh, and Spezza, and the other thing too, we haven't talked about the defense. They're going to need another defenseman. Like I don't think Lilgren can be your number seven. So you need a veteran guy. I think it would be prudent for the Leafs to leave themselves a buffer of about eight hundred grand, so they can at least have a twenty-one player roster that's on the cap, and they can move someone on and off the roster. And because they they ran the situation they ran into last year, they had to put all those guys on waivers, and they were losing players, and they, there were times where they couldn't. You know, it would be nice if you could sit Spezza once in a while and, and you didn't have to wave him in order to do it, ideally. Well, and, and that's an important point to remember when you look at the roster in August, July, September. They can always change it. So, like, I know we get obsessed with what the lo- roster looks like heading into camp. It's never the final roster. Like, it always changes. They always, like, you're always going to go out at the, the trade deadline and get something. So, like, if if you haven't adequately replaced Alex Kerfoot, if you lose him, at the trade deadline, maybe you can find that guy. So, like, it's it's not final. Yeah, and somebody will be injured and go yeah. on LTI. and Shenanigans will ensue. I love shenanigans. Tom Foolery is good, too. All right, James, we've got time for, like, two more. All right, Beer Garouche would like to know who's a viable target for third line center. So I mentioned Benino. Does anyone want to throw? Do you have any names, Mark, that you think that might make sense for them to look at for third line center? Nothing off the top of my head. Benino. I got one. one. Um, Paul Stasny. Yeah, I think that's a good. Ooh. One. I think that's a good one, depending on what the number looks like. Yes. All right. Um, Ian McIntosh asks. This one is going to hurt Leafs fans. So cover your ears if you don't want to hear this one. If the Leafs had signed Marner to a bridge deal, he would be an RFA right now. 
what would his contract look like? It would be less. <laughs> it would be less because they would know that it was a flat cap flat environment cap. and like the comparables yeah. would be less. And uh, uh, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that one in there as, as just a, a, a dagger to everyone. <laughs> More listening. salt in the wound. Yeah. Um, everyone can, oh, everyone, this is going to come out tonight. So everyone can have a drink or a beer or something after they hear that question. Or maybe some, All right, sh- well, oh, no. maybe some shots. He, can I, uh, can I do another one here, Jonas? Very quickly. Ryan Bobier. I hope I, pr- I hope I pronounced that correctly. Ryan Bobier has a good question. He wants to know, where is Timothy Lilgren on the depth chart? Do they forecast him as an everyday D-man? How is it plausible if they trade Riley for a forward? Do they have enough? Oh, no. He says, how plausible is it if they trade Riley uh, for a forward that they can come up with a defense score that makes sense without Riley? Nice. Mark's face says it all. Now, obviously, people listening can't see it, but it's like that that face, the emoji where it's like the is it what is it called? Uh, that emoji where it's the like teeth. kind of shocked, nervous, maybe with my teeth going. It would be tough. Yeah, I, I've seen some fans uh, say. Funny that, aside, I've seen some fans say you expose Justin Hall and let Seattle take him, and then Lilgren can fill on right D, and it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, even yeah, know if Dermot yeah, can well. play in the top four on the, on the right side there. Like, I don't know. It would be, it would be an interesting experiment to see if you put Dermot with, with someone like Muzzin, how much, how much success that pair would have. James, it's not a lock that if Dermot isn't picked or isn't or whatever, that, that he's in the top six. Like, I don't think that's a lock. Well, right. who's, who's bumping him out though? I mean, right now they only have six defensemen. Yeah. Maybe they sign another guy like Zach Bogosian, like maybe not Zach Bogosian, but maybe it's Rasmus Sandin and that guy on the third pair. I was saying Yalmerson might make some sense, but he does. I I like that guy. Funny aside quickly on the whole emoji thing. Sorry, Jonas. I know we're running short on time. As you know, I cover a little tennis 2015 us open. Jeannie Bouchard slips and falls in the locker room, but no one really knows what's going on with her. She's in the fourth round of singles. So there's a day off, but before the next match was supposed to take place, all, all she tweeted was an emoji. It was like a sad face kind of, but I didn't know, like it was a weird set. Of, I forgot exactly what it was. So I had to look it up on the emoji dictionary. And then I had to go live on Sports <laughs> Center and be like, according to the emoji dictionary, Jeannie is feeling melancholy. This does not bode well. And sure enough, she, awesome. she, with, she withdrew. So emojis are taking on a bigger, bigger role it. when it comes to social media and our coverage. All right, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report to sign up uh, for The Athletic. If you haven't, we have lots of stuff on there now, lots of stuff coming. Every sport, there's been all kinds of crazy stories in the NHL, like the Wild buying out uh, Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, another potential candidate. Stay tuned. Um, Mark, Alec Baldwin, you're the best. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts as always for coming on you're the best it's my pleasure always i just want to try and figure out a way to have more appearances than chris johnson that's my goal so <laughs> this was this was a step in that direction today and i appreciated the opportunity thanks mark masters nation masters thanks, nation guys. there we go hashtag <laughs> masters nation all right thank you guys thanks mark that was awesome always fun be well i'll see you on the zooms or hear you on the zooms bye